What's up, Church on the Trail family? We're excited that you are here with us today. If this is your first time here, welcome. We are honored that you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning here with us. There are so many exciting things coming up here at Church on the Trail that we want to share with you. We're thrilled to announce our first ever BBS at Church on the Trail. Come join us as we take your kids on an epic adventure that explores God's goodness. The dates for this event will take place on July 10th through the 12th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Your child must be four on the day of registration. The ages are four to 11. Um, you can register your child on our website. Just make sure to fill out one registration per child and just hurry because registration closes soon. July 13th through 21st is Columbus Mission Trip. Come join us right here in our own city as we partner with multiple organizations and serve our community. There are many different opportunities to sign up for during this week. So visit our uh, church website and you can register for whichever events you would like to attend. Um, we also need to remind everyone we need supplies for that week. So you can also find a list on our website to donate if you'd like to help. Any further questions about the Close Mission Trip, you can just join us right out here after the service and uh, we can answer your questions. Thanks, y'all. Peace Hey, here's a disclaimer. There was a pillow. First, there was a pillow when the mic was dropped. This morning, Trip walked in and he said, please tell me that that was a fake mic. I said, no, it's real mic, but it landed in a pillow. So we're not tearing equipment up around here. Um, anyway, my name is Ed Griffin Egg, and I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. We're so happy that y'all are here. Um, is there any better news than one of the lines in that song that our worship team just sang, that death has lost its grip on me? That is like the greatest news ever. Um, that, that, Y'all can amen or something that. Um, so anyway, I'm so glad y'all are here and we've got people watching online. And this is a big weekend in the life of our church. It's a huge weekend in the life of... Uh, of our church family, and so if you're, if this is your first time here, we have got these little welcome kits, and I, I, I want to get one of these in your hand. Richard is around here somewhere and has these. If if you if you need one, if this is your first time here, it tells you kind of about our church and who we are and our DNA. If you want to raise your hand and get one now, or if you want to get one at the connections desk, either way, but we want to get one of these in your hand. So, here's the deal. Um, I want to start off this morning with some, with some numbers, and really, these are, truthfully, they're staggering, they're staggering numbers. Eleven children under five years old, these are, these are world numbers, eleven children under five years old die every minute of every day of every month of every year. Forty-five percent of those deaths of children under five happen in the first month of their life, really in the first 28 days of their life. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means 7,000 newborns die every single day due to poverty, due to conditions of poverty. 7,000 newborns die every day because of poverty. Nearly one child in five of all children under five years old doesn't have enough food to eat. And while malnourishment affects one in three people kind of worldwide, if we can prevent malnourishment, there's a 1,600% return, 16 bucks of return for every dollar that is spent. 
that is anybody that has ever been in business would take a 1,600% return on their money. So it's a wise investment, investing in things like Compassion International. You know, at least 10% of the world's population consumes food that is irrigated with wastewater. By 2025, half of the population of the world is going to be living in areas that are severely water-stressed. There are 61 million elementary school-age children who don't attend. 61 million elementary-aged uh, kids that don't attend school. And then this is insane. There are 880 million people. That's almost a billion people in our world today that live on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day. 880 million people. And so like those are insane numbers, but they're just numbers. They're, they're, they're black text on a screen, that screen before. They're just, they're just numbers. They're just text on a screen. But I, I want to introduce you to some numbers. I want to introduce you to, to what is behind those numbers. On the screen now from left to right, and I may have to ask Jay to help me pronounce these names. But this is over on the left. Alex and Clements and Sandrine. The next screen is, is uh, a little boy named Asifaway. Did I say that right? Cool. Asifaway and Oreste and Obed. Those are the numbers. Those are the people that lie behind those numbers. These kids that were just up there, they're from a place in Rwanda which is a teeny, tiny, little, little place in Africa. Hardly see it on a map. Uh, and inside Rwanda, in an in a, in a area called Gahara, and that's a, a rural community of about 8,000 people. 8,000 people in a tiny little village, in a tiny little country in Africa. And most of the people that live there are illiterate overwhelming majority, over 90%, cannot read and cannot write. And they make a living, typically, raising livestock or doing some sort of, uh, of day labor. And the average family in that community earns $23 a month. $23 a month. You take your, your spouse and two kids over to McDonald's and eat, you're going to spend more than $23. Susan and I went to dinner last night, just two of us. It was 30 bucks. They're living a month on $23. And so as we, and so we're going to talk about today sponsoring kids, particularly in this place in Africa. But I want to bring somebody, a couple of people up to the stage for a minute or two. Liz and Tony uh, Borelli, they have sponsored uh, children uh, through Compassion International for 10 years? 20 years, 20 years. And r really what I want them to do, will you hand me those mics right there, Travis? Um, I want them to just give us what it is like. Y'all come over here in the light. Just, I just want them to give you three minutes on what it is like to sponsor a, a child. What does that look like? You know, how does it feel? Just what is it like life-wise? What is it like to sponsor a kid? Well, I've been a sponsor for 20 years, and um, going through the Compassion Experience yesterday, made it, I'm going to go over here so the, it doesn't cover my height. So um, it, it was a little eye-opening to me because you get a little bit clearer picture of poverty in other places of the world. Um, my first compassion child, 
had for about five years, and she was 14 when she got married. So going through Julian's story was really quite real to me in regards to what she faced and why she left the Compassion Project early because at 14 she was married off. My second child, um, he, his parents took him out of the program um, probably not even a year into it. And this is a program that feeds these children, clothes these children, educates them in the name of Jesus, but his parents still took him out. My last child just graduated, and he gave his, he gave his yes, he gave his life to the Lord about seven years ago. His family is attending church. They're thriving as much as possible. They're in Ecuador, and both of his parents work. His brothers are in school. This is the little kid that um, I think he was six or seven whenever I first started sponsoring him, and he couldn't read or write. And they, I got letters from someone that would write and translate for him. And he writes very clearly, very intelligently, he asked me to pray for them that he'll, him, that he'll stay in the path that the Lord has for him. He prays for us as a family, and he just graduated. And it's, you know, the $38 a month is nothing, really, when it comes down to it. But that life changed and that family changed in knowing that that cycle of poverty is being broken in his life and in his family's life and that of his Brothers and what will become their children is amazing to me. And um, I just love this organization, and it's been an amazing experience being a sponsor. And I'll just add that uh, an ancillary benefit if you have children is the ability to make them part of this process as well. I know a lot of uh, folks here have already had uh, children that have picked out uh, someone to sponsor and done that, and then you know I sponsor a girl in Rwanda. Her name is Tumakunde, and uh, our two children they write at least half the letters that we send to Tumakunde. You know they pray for her all the time, and so I think that they are definitely cognizant of the fact that they have. You know, there's a lot of kids out there that have a lot less than what they do, and I think that they're at least a little bit more thankful for what they have because of their involvement in this process. Well, Colin, this up here is a couple letters. I don't know if y'all y'all didn't see, yeah. but that's what we put up there. And those are some letters um, that Tony and, and Liz's kids have written. Flip to the next slide. And so those are letters back, correct? Yeah. Um, and so, look, they have been doing this for a long time. And, and Liz said something a minute ago. She said $38 is really nothing. And at the end of the day, for us, it, it, is, it is nothing. But for a child that is living in extreme poverty, 880 million people living in extreme poverty, it changes. Look, the Lord can use whatever he wants to do whatever he wants, right? He has chosen, in this case, to use this family through compassion to totally change the trajectory of, a, of kids' lives. And you don't know that when, when a, the lineage in a family changes, that changes children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You know how many people are going to be in heaven at the foot of the throne because of their $38 a month? That is the way that the Lord works and moves and shakes and does stuff. Um, so we're going to talk more about that as the day goes on. Thank you all so much. Leave me.
that one. So, look, um, as we, we're, we're moving on, Dan, we're, this is going to be a little different kind of day for us because we're going to have multiple people uh, up here. And I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine. His name is Jay. And uh, Jay was raised in, in Kenya in one of the largest and poorest slums on the planet. And what I just kind of was talking about, um, the way that the Lord can use whatever and whoever he wants to do whatever and accomplish whatever it is he wants to accomplish. So in Jay's life, the Lord used compassion to completely change the trajectory of his life. So I want you all to give him a big church on the trail sort of uh, welcome. Thank you so much. How are we doing? We good? Oh, I'm excited to be here. As you can notice, there's a little bit of a switch of accent. That's because I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, so if I say something that you didn't understand, please feel free. We're going to be at the outside here and you can ask. You said something that sounded like this. What did you mean by that? And I'll be glad to explain. But anyway, I'm glad for the numbers that were put up and uh, the pictures, but I'm here to put a face to the numbers. And uh, I'm going to introduce just my aunt because I'm going to mention her. My aunt just waved. She just came from Kenya like three days ago. She's fresh off the boat. And next to her is my friend. Her name is uh, Valentine from Dallas, Texas. And they just came to be with us. They're both from Kenya. But anyway, I was born and brought up in a place called Matare. Now, that is a place where there's a lot of poverty. And when I say poverty, of course, we all know that word. Uh, because I know right here in the U.S. there's poverty. This morning, uh, the pastor was telling me that you guys go to feed uh, some hungry people you know, in your neighborhood. So in other words, it's not like there's not poverty here. There is poverty exactly where we are living. And we should definitely... Do something about that. But the kind of poverty that I'm talking about is extreme poverty. Poverty where we don't even have any food stamps. And I was brought up in a place called Matara, like I said. And one of the biggest things that we lack in my community is mentorship. Kids growing out of my community, if you ask me who I wanted to be, I didn't have like a fancy answer. I would have probably told you, I want to be uh, a tout, which is like, we have a lot of public transportation in Kenya. They are called matatus. Or maybe a thief. Actually, if a kid was born in my community, the boy was always expected to be a thief, and the girl was always expected to be a prostitute. They used to say that nothing good can come out of Madare. That's what they said about Jesus. My mom being just like any other, other woman, she tried everything possible to make sure that we had a decent living. And that meant that she needed to take us to school. She needed to, to buy food for us, to buy, make sure that we had somewhere to sleep. And all that needed money. And it's money that she didn't have. And it became so tough for her. And as you can see, I'm not a small boy. That means I love to eat. And you can imagine, we didn't have video games. And so we'd go outside to play soccer. Soccer was a, and it still is my favorite game to play. But then when you go out to play, you're coming home 
and you're hoping to find a nice meal to eat, one thing we have to realize is that those children that you see there, they don't even know that they are poor. Kids don't realize they are poor. So whenever you're coming home, you expect somehow there's magic thing that happened and there's food. And now you can imagine our faces when you come home and you're hoping to find something to eat. And then my mom would look at us and say, I'm sorry, we don't have anything to eat. And so we'd have to go to bed hungry. No, that happened over and over again. It was not unique to my family. It happened to my neighbor and the other neighbor and the other neighbor. So that's something that happened in my community. And so you're wondering, what am I going to do? I'm hungry. And if I'm hungry, I want to get food. And that's where desperation steps in. Growing up without having things that sometimes we take for granted, having a pair of shoes, a nice shirt. If you had one, we actually used to call it Sunday best. You can only wear it on Sunday. But the rest of the days you walk barefooted. And so life became so tough. And I remember when I was growing up, uh, at some point I thought to myself, what's going to happen to me? Am I just going to sit here, not have anything to eat? I can't die here. I have to do something. And I remember going to the streets of Nairobi. Nairobi is the capital city of Kenya. And the reason that I went to the streets was to beg for food and for money. Now, I wasn't one of those selfish beggars. Anything I would find in the streets, I would go home and I would feed my family. Like I said, my aunt is here. If anything I'm saying is a lie, you can confirm with her. And so I would, I would go and borrow money and take the money home and I would feed my whole family. So many other times where they would expect me to come from the streets with whatever I would, I would get and come and feed the whole family. I was just eight years old. Actually, I remember one time that I was in the streets begging and my aunt was in the, was in the city and she needed some money to go. She, was, she, uh, she has always been smartly dressed. And so when you looked at her, you'd think, oh, she has a lot of money. And you see me talking to her, you might think, oh, that lady is going to give her money. But actually, she was coming to me to give her transport and to give her money to go and feed my family because I was still in the streets. The sad thing for me was when I would go to the same streets and I didn't find anything to eat. And I would go home and we all don't have anything to eat. And I would see the disappointment in my family's face. And I started thinking, what's going to happen? I don't have anything to, to feed my family. I don't have anything. And I joined the wrong group of young guys and I started stealing and snatching. I became a thief just like I was expected. But then any time I would steal and go sell something, my family didn't know I was getting the money. I would just bring the money home and they would enjoy it because I know my grandmother would not have accepted the money if she knew I had stole the money. But I did that. But one thing happens when you're stealing in Kenya, it doesn't matter how old you are, is what we call the mob justice. They can stop you and they can stone you. They can hit you with whatever they have. And eventually they can put a tie around your neck and they can burn you to death. There's one day we watched my brother being stoned almost to death. That happens a lot. I have a lot of friends who have been killed in the same streets. And they, did all, they, were, they were going to steal because they were desperate. There was poverty in front of them and they were trying to say, how do I survive? The best way they knew how was to steal because most of them didn't go to school. So I wasn't shot. I wasn't burned. But I was arrested at the age of nine. 
And I remember entering prison. That's probably my worst moment in life. And I went to prison and I found other kids who've been in and out of, of jail. And to them, that was their life. And they, they kind of were okay with it. There's what in, we used to say, a thief has 40 days. It's a metaphor that says that it doesn't matter. When, it, when your time for dying comes, you'll die either way. And so they would live their lives recklessly, saying, if it's not my day to die, I'm not going to die. But that's just stupid because most of them died at an early age. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do? I'm in prison. My family doesn't have money to, t- to get me out of prison. We don't have anybody who is higher in authority that they can speak on my behalf. And I'm just 10 years old in prison. Is this the end of my journey? And the only thing I could do was to kneel down right there and pray unto God. Now, kneeling down, there's so many things I could have asked. Makio is not a believer. But in Kenya, there's what we call the freedom of worship. And what I mean by that is that you would walk in the streets of Nairobi and you literally hear somebody standing on the streets and they're preaching and they're saying, Jesus loves you. You go into public transportation, there's somebody in there preaching. And let me be honest with you, sometimes it was annoying. Sometimes they're too loud in your ears. You're like, I just want to go home. But let me tell you, the Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So whether you like it or not, you heard that gospel. And when I was in my darkest moment, I remember that preacher. The preacher that said that Jesus loves me. And he cares for me. And so I knelt down and I asked the same God. And I told him, if you exist and if you're there, please, two things. As much as I need a lot of money, for now I need two things. I needed to get out of prison. And the second thing was to get out of poverty. When I prayed to God and I didn't even know how it was going to work. But then God, in his own ways, I got out of prison. And I was so excited and happy that finally I'm free. Because if you've ever been in, into prison, you can, you can follow me. Because when you get out, it's like your life is back. But then your happiness is just for a moment. Because you go back to the same life that you left. And it's not like I was investing in prison. No, my family was still struggling. And so I went back home to the same family when we still didn't have anything. And so my options were like, I might still go back to the streets just like the boys say. Like when you can, you'll still go back. If it's not your time, you'll not die. Am I going to go back to the streets and, and risk dying? What's going to happen? And that's when God intervened with the second prayer. When I prayed for God to get me out of poverty. Now God works in different ways. Probably in my mind I thought, hey, somebody's going to come and give me loads of money or something like that. But God used a ministry called Compassion International. And this is how compassion works. You know, it's so easy for a church or somebody from the West to go to like an African country and say, hey, I'm from the West. I'm Superman. I can help you. And most of the people do that mistake. But then compassion doesn't do that. What they do is that they partner with a local church. They empower that church and they make sure that that church in the light in that community. Actually, when I grew up, when, I, when we knew about compassion, we didn't even know so much about compassion. But you knew there was a church in our community that is helping kids. They go there, they eat, you see them, they're happy. And that's what compassion does. And so we all wanted to be enrolled into this church and get the benefits that, that this church has. And so one day, I used to live with my grandmother. 
when my mom at some point my mom attempted suicide and we could not live with her but we went to live with my grandmother even my aunt was in the same house we were like 15 10 kids in one room and one thing about my grandmother was a woman of faith and after after i got out of prison she said let's go to school but for us to be in school you have to pay tuition fee and so i started arguing with my grandmother which is a mistake never argue with a grandmother because i was arguing with her and i was telling her why are we going to school we don't even have money and she's like i said let's go to school and indeed we had to go to school but it just so happened when i was going to school that's when compassion was coming to see are there kids in school who want to be in school but they're not able to pay their tuition fee or their school uniform or their textbooks and that's why that's when i got picked to join the program of compassion and let me tell you that might have been so easy for them but that was life changing for me i was enrolled into the program but then when you join the program what happens is that they have packets they but those packets they start with taking a picture taking a story of a kid just like some of the packets that we saw up there and those kids they're actual kids they're kids who are waiting and they made a packet for me and so what happens is that that packet goes round probably one of it came to you maybe it came to this part of the country and what happens is that we are like hey there are these kids that need to be sponsored are you going to pick this kid and sponsor and sometimes it looks like a simple card and that card yeah thank you very much so when you look at this it looks like a simple card but as you can see there's a child there compassion only has one packet which represent that child we don't have another packet somewhere else you won't find this online it's only here and so when you have this packet is as good as life you know when you have a check if you give me a check of $1000 which i will accept <laughs> gra- gladly <laughs> but if you give me that piece of paper which is called check it's as good as $1000 the same way if you pick this packet it's as good as life you're picking a child and you're telling them hey i'm going to be your sponsor so this is what happened when we were in the program waiting to be sponsored every saturday we would go to the program yes we eat we do all those cool things but one of our most favorite time was to wait towards the end where they call out names of kids that have been sponsored so if your name was called you go write a letter to your sponsor and it was like the best time you're waiting to hear your name being called and so i don't know what happened everybody else was being picked but not me i remember we actually used to cross our fingers when they would read out names of kids that have been sponsored and so every time you're waiting to hear is this the day that my name is going to be called but then nope but i didn't know what happened until i fast forward and i came here and i noticed when people go to the table out there they kind of look for the cutest kids <laughs> and i don't think i was one of those and so as i was crossing fingers somebody was like um maybe not that <laughs> let's get this one but let me tell you one day my name was called and somebody from california who was hoping they are celebrities <laughs> they picked my packet and they sponsored me and it's like they say to me welcome to our family and welcome to the family of god i just want to read one of your call as i talk about what that meant the when my sponsor picked me the number 4 of the core value of this church is that because we believe grace saves we will risk criticism and and get uh, and go to the extra mile to make every man woman and child feel accepted that's what i felt when my sponsor picked my packet i felt accepted and when the program was over i was asking myself what are the things that i got from the program
There's so many things that I got, but I was thinking, what are some of the three things that I got from the program? The first thing that I got from my program was love. When you pick this child, like I said, it's an actual child. You get read letters back and forth. And the first time I had the words, I love you, was from my sponsor. They would write letters to me. And they would tell me how much they love me and how special I am. That meant everything to me. The second thing that I got from the program was education. They paid for my tuition fee. Compassion makes sure that every child that joined the program, they go all the way to high school. And if they qualify, because in Africa you have to qualify to go to college. If you qualify, you go to university and you get anything that pertains to education. That's the second thing that Compassion gave me. The third and the most, most important thing that Compassion gave me is the word of God. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass, but my word will remain. Let me tell you, there are so many gifts that we can give to people, especially the poor people. So many gifts. But the best gift that we can give is to give somebody Jesus. Because even when you're not around, even when you're not there to be with them, God will always be there for them. The Bible says that Jesus sticketh closer than a brother. And so what, are, what, is the, what a better way to give somebody a gift than to give them Jesus? And so I know most of us probably have had the message of compassion before. You've probably heard this over and over again. But I'm standing here to tell you, if my sponsor never came through, if I wasn't sponsored, I would probably be dead. I tried to go home every now and then. And I remember I visited, uh, I was in Kenya like I think a month and a half ago. And every time I go, I usually try to look for my friends that I grew up with. You know, my childhood friends. It's almost impossible to see anybody of them. Because of the decisions that some of them made. Because of them not having an opportunity that I got. They are either dead or they are in prison. And so for me, picking a packet, it meant everything to me. And I don't know what it meant for my sponsor when they picked my packet. Maybe they did not even care whether I was cute or not. Maybe it was like, well, let me just pick this packet. I don't know what, I was definitely not there. And I don't know what was going through their mind when they picked my packet. But let me tell you what it meant for me. I'm married and I have a daughter and another daughter coming anytime from now. Her name is Shiloh right now, the first daughter. And what I say is that if I wasn't sponsored, if I was still in, poor, in poverty, then I would still have my kids. Because you know we're Africans, we have to get as many kids as we can. That's like one of it. You're born, how many kids are you going to have? And actually for the most part, we end up having many, many children. But just imagine this. And this is something that most of the time people don't even look at it this way. My kids would be born in poverty. I will still be in poverty and so my kids are going to be in poverty and their kids and their kids but my sponsor picking this packet to them it was a simple thing $38 a month that's not a big deal but without even knowing they started something and my generation and my kids and their kids are not going to be born in poverty because of their generosity lots of kids are not going to be born in poverty. Now, multiply that with 
hundred kids that are sponsored, a thousand kids that are sponsored, and they're out of poverty. How many kids are being released from poverty just by one sponsorship? And so as we think about sponsoring children, and I, I've lived here, let me be honest with you, the first time I came to the US, or before I came to the US, I thought everybody is a millionaire. But don't blame us, that's what they show us on TV. But then I came here and I, I've lived here. I've been, I live in Smana right now. I'm actually like one hour, 30 minutes from you guys. And so I understand the life that we live here. And I know there are bills to be paid. I know there's, you have to do a lot of calculation to even live right now. But let me tell you, if you just make that sacrifice and say, in my check that I usually get, is there anything that I can sacrifice? $38 a month, or maybe you can sponsor too. Is there anything that I can put aside for the sake of changing a life? And let me tell you, that is a gift. That is a seed that will never go to waste. Because like I said, I'm a real example here. And if somebody did not do anything, I would be dead. And so I'm here, and thank God I have an accent so that you know I wasn't trained. I'm for real. And if anybody here who sponsors through Compassion or through any other organization for that matter, I just want to say thank you. It's because of that that people like me and other children, they have their life. See, the Bible says in John 10.10 10, that the thief come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I, Jesus, came so that they may have life and life in abundance if I didn't get anything out of this I have my life and that's what matters and so when you pick kids today we're going to rescue them from poverty and not in any other person's name but it's in the name of Jesus please make that decision today please find it in your heart and honestly if you don't feel guilty if you're feeling guilty to go sponsor please don't do that I don't want to take you on a guilty trip I want to take you on a reality trip where you can pick an actual child, sponsor them, and change their life. And they're going to be released in poverty, from poverty in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to share my story, which is your story of what you've done. And I thank you for everybody that had this story, Lord. I'm praying that, Lord, as they think about sponsoring God, you may minister to them Minister to them who is the key that they're going to change their life. And thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be a blessing to another child. We bless you and we glorify your name. I pray this, believing in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all give Jay a hand. Thank you, man. So, look, I struggled... I struggled this week trying to think about how to, how to wrap all of this up, how to wrap today up, and, and where to go in this last few minutes of, of this message, because there's so many passages that speak to poverty in the Scriptures. Just a few in, in, in 1 John chapter 3, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in, in truth. And then in James chapter 2, it says, If a, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and, la and uh, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to that person, Go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And Proverbs 30, 
One, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the right, uh, the rights of all who are destitute. And Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, you know, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did. Look, I could go on and on and on and on. Man, there's, uh, 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 with biblical text after biblical text after biblical text about the special place, and it is, the special place, the, the weak, the oppressed, the destitute, the poor, that they have in God's heart. You can't deny it, you know, but it hit me Wednesday, Tuesday night or Wednesday, when I'm trying to figure out where to go in this last part, that Ephesians chapter 5, for a believer, Ephesians chapter 5, the first words of chapter 5 of Ephesians really sums it up, and here's what Paul said. He said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And he leads up to this, the latter part of chapter 4, and Paul's talking about the new life. He says, we must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Put off your old self. Put on the new self. We're created after the likeness of God. And he says, put away bitterness and anger and, and be kind and forgive one another as you have been forgiven. And so be imitators of God as beloved children. He says to us, he says, I, I want you to make God's activities the pattern for your life. He said, here's the beautiful thing. Paul says, here's this beautiful thing about God. He's become a father to you. He says, through the cross of Christ, you've been brought into this family. And as Jay was talking about, it made me think about that. And, and he says, you know, you are now the children of God. And he's not, he doesn't say you're the tolerated children of of God, you really get on our on my nerves, but we t- I tolerate you. No, he says you are beloved children of God. The Father loves you. His heart pours out for you. He says you're the object of my affection. He has compassion towards you. And as children who are loved by him, he has our hearts. He has our hearts. He has our admiration. We're awed by his greatness. We're awed by his grace and his mercy. And his love, and because he, he, he is so big and so strong and so merciful and so full of grace, we just naturally want to be like him. So Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then in verse 2, he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's what Paul's saying now. If you're going to imitate your heavenly father, here's the characteristic trait that, that I need for you to focus on. Here's the, the characteristic trait that I want you to focus on, and it's, it is his love. And if you'll learn to love, you'll begin to imitate God. And he says, walk in love. And so it's about his love. We are beloved children. We know his love. We have received his love. We understand his love. But now we want to imitate that great love in a jacked up, lost, broken world that is desperately in need. And so he says, walk in love. Let love control your life. And then Paul gives love a standard. He sets this bar for love. He says here and throughout the scripture, to love as Christ loved and gave himself up. He says, and he tells us, to love sacrificially, to love sacrificially, to let love guide and direct all of our actions. Verse 2 says that in love, he saw my need. He saw my need and he met my need. 
He sacrificed, and the text says, for us. And he met my need that I couldn't satisfy it. Desperately in need. And I could not fix it. I could not satisfy it. I could not do anything about it. But he fulfilled it. He jumped into time and he took care of something that I totally couldn't take care of. And I wanted to take care of it, y'all. I wanted to be in control and I wanted to fix my brokenness. But I can't and you can't. We can't. He jumped into time and he fulfilled that need. He saw my weakness and my inability to meet my own needs. And he stepped in and he took care of that. And that is the kind of love that we need to imitate. That's the kind of love that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5. It's selfless and it's sacrificial and it's suffering love that is willing to forgive and willing to help and willing to serve and, li- and willing to give and willing to, to lose myself over for the good of someone else. I'm willing to sacrifice something that I love for something that I love more. That is what sacrifice is. If you're not giving anything up, there is no sacrifice. And so, look, we've all heard of the Titanic, the ship 1912 that sunk. Do you know what this ship is? You probably don't. You may not have ever heard of the RMS Carpathia. The Carpathia was an ordinary ship uh, that that picked up the Titanic's distress signal that fateful kind of night. And the, the captain, his name was Arthur Rostron. And uh, he, jump, he heard the, the Titanic's um, distress call, and he jumps into action, and he, he, he rigged up the ship, um, and, he, and he navigated it 60 miles through icy waters. Um, the captain ordered the cooks to make uh, hot coffee and to make soup, and he rigged up the deck with, with nets and with all the, the, the lifeboats and everything that he needed and he set up first aid stations with doctors in the dining rooms and he got blankets out and he, he fixed all the, the rooms to be uh, areas for sleeping and when the Carpathia finally reached where the Titanic was, the Titanic had sunk already. There were just lifeboats in the water but he rescued 705 people and later on Captain Rostron said this, he said, when day broke, I saw the ice that we'd steamed through during that night I shuddered, he said, and could only think that some other hand than mine was on the helm during that night. And I'm telling y'all often, when we see a need, we become aware of a need. We'll overanalyze the need to death and we'll just be paralyzed and do nothing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about how we care for uh, people who are in distress. I'm not saying that. We need to be thoughtful. Uh, in our compassion so that we don't end up doing more harm to the person in distress or to ourselves. I get that. But even in our gatherings on Sunday morning, every week we gather on Sunday morning, we can run the risk of doing nothing more than just talking about God's heart and caring for people than actually getting out there and doing something about it. Can you imagine if Captain Rostron had said, had heard the distress calls from the Titanic and just ignored them? Like what if he had just decided... To let, he said, they're a big ship. They can figure it out. They got themselves in the mess. They'll figure it out. They'll, what if he just said that? But what he did, he did what he had to do and at great sacrifice and at great risk to his ship. But here's what he did. Most importantly, something. He responded. And he responded immediately. He responded decisively. He put one foot in front of the other. He got up and he did something, y'all. Love does. Love does. Love takes action. And so the call here today is for us, our church family,
our church family to do something, to see a need, to recognize the need, and to do something about it. Put one foot in front of the other and sponsor, we need to sponsor 75 kids in Gahara, Rwanda. You've got a map up here. That's Rwanda, that teeny tiny little thing at the end of that, that arrow. You flip to the next slide. This is, this is Gahara uh, zoomed down. Little bitty area. And then we're going to go with compassion. We're going to go there in 2020. And we're going to do whatever it is. I don't even know what we're going to do. We're going to do whatever it is that compassion has for us to do in that community. And all of this, y'all, all of this is, is about what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 about imitating Christ. About imitating God. But you cannot do that if you don't know Him. And we've talked today about sacrificial love and how that kind of plays itself out. But y'all, the greatest act of sacrificial love in the history of the world happened on a cross 2,000 years ago. And, and, and you can't imitate Him if you don't know Him. And so if you don't know Him, I'm asking you to consider if you walked in today, it wasn't an accident. You didn't randomly walk in here. God brought you here for a reason. And you may have walked in here and you said, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this again and I'm giving God one last chance. I'm saying today, consider, consider saying yes to that offer. If you don't have a relationship with Him, if He is not, if His Holy Spirit's not living inside of you, consider that today. And it's not some big mechanical formula, man. It is repent. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Uh, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did. Today is a day that you can say, I repent and I believe. I repent of all this junk in my past and that slate needs to be wiped clean. I serve a God that can wipe that slate clean. He can take that and move it from as far as the east is to the west. And then I say, yes, I do believe. And what is it that I believe? I don't just believe some junk. I believe that he died on that cross and took care of that sin. He met the need, the need that I couldn't meet myself. And that's the belief. It's the object of my belief. Who is the object of my belief? Jesus Christ is. And so if you can do that today, then I would, I would ask you to consider doing that day. And he will pluck you right out of the pit of hell and save you. And you will live with him forever. Amen, Amen is right. Amen is right. So y'all pray with me, Lord.